Well, welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. And I am uh, uh, doing this a little bit differently today because Mark was having a little bit of issues with the production studio up in uh, Michigan. So uh, we, are, we are live, we are recording, uh, and I have a very, very special guest uh, who is smiling and just as pretty as can be. But I'll tell you, as beautiful as this woman is, the mission that she is under is totally serious. Uh, and also welcome Sarah Nadel from Families to Freedom. So happy to have you with me this morning. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. You're right. I, I'm a bit happy and bubbly, but it has, it's because I love the work that we do so much. It wakes me up every day. <laughs> and it, it's amazing to me because I've been doing this show for six years now, and I think I had you on the show four to five years ago when you were really just an upstart. You were just getting going. I, uh, I saw you at a, uh, at a conference. Uh, you made a presentation, and I walked up to you afterwards, and I said, hey, I, I got this radio show that I'm doing, and I'd love to have you as a guest. That's how we met. I have stayed connected with you. I have supported your organization because it, it is well worth supporting. And we'll put a plug in for everybody who is watching from the North Texas area. Tomorrow is North Texas Giving Day and Families to Freedom. Put it on your list because th there's thousands, literally thousands of nonprofits. They're going to be asking for your donations and all. And you have to prioritize prioritize them but families to freedom you're going to learn in the next hour or so what they're all about and why you need to help so i guess that's the kickoff start i'll i'll give it to you right away the the balls in your side of the court tell everybody what families to freedom is yes so families to freedom uh, we transport victims of domestic abuse to safety, whether that is going to a domestic violence safe house somewhere hidden in North Texas, or helping shelter survivors get to family anywhere in the United States. And we do this because shelters are often at full capacity and not able to take in a person in the same town that the victim is, is in. So if we have to go the extra distance to help that victim get safe, then we've done a good job. You know, it's not, it's something that we've been living with for a long, long time. And, and I don't want to just, you know, graze over it because what you mentioned about the, the shelters, mm -hmm. number one, in an abusive situation, the best thing you can do is to separate the abused from the abuser. And very often it's a mindset. Um, it's not always women, but the majority of them are women. So yes. let's use that as our, our reference point. A woman is being abused by her live-in, her boyfriend, her, her girlfriend, uh, her husband, and she doesn't want to necessarily leave because, A, where is she going to go? She's got nothing. You know, she's better off staying in the and taking a little bit of abuse, but at least having a, a roof over her head and a place to have her children. So she leaves and she goes to a neighbor's house. That's not going to solve anything. Am I correct? Correct. In fact, that could also uh, make it even harder for that new survivor to get the help that she needs, um, because now she may become disqualified for emergency 
shelter since she's technically no longer in imminent danger. Yeah, it, you know, so so somebody says, well, go to the shelter. There's one about a mile away. Well, she gets to the shelter with, let's say she's got one or two little kids. Right. The shelter is full. There's no beds. Right. Now she's turned out into the street. Where does she go? What does she do? Without families to freedom, often victims just go back. They just go back because they know the evil within, but they don't know what evil is out on the streets. Um, they may end up in a homeless shelter, which is definitely uh, a sizable population ends up in the homeless system because they were unable to get the support they needed from family violence and domestic violence agencies. It could be that the victim in this scenario did not know what to do. They didn't know if they had legal rights. They didn't know who to call. They didn't know that if they didn't reach out to help, that that would sabotage their ability to you know, to, to be okay later on. You know, and, and, and sometimes they'll go to a church where they can get a safe haven, but it's temporary. And, right. and I think, I think the, the main thrust of what we're talking about is they need to find a place where they can grow. They can pick up their roots, they can replant their roots, and they have a new life. Because the statistics, I was going over some of the statistics, and it's just, it's incredible how many times the abuser, oh, honey, please, I promise I'll never touch you again. I'll never, you know, that's BS. And we know it's BS because the, the, the facts show that most of the time that, that the abuser says, I'm not going to do it again, he does it again. And, uh, and the, the, the victim can only take so much abuse. Because and we talked earlier about it too. There's there's another there's another kind of wrench in this whole thing. A friend says, "Go to the police. Tell the police. You know you got bruises on on your body. So you go to the police, and the police say, "Well, we can't arrest him because we don't have proof of anything. We don't know if he just slipped and fell on the sidewalk or whatever. You it has to be in the act or whatever. And unfortunately." That could, that could be a fatal mistake. Indeed. And I think oftentimes victims who go to the police, they're afraid of retaliation. If the police aren't able to apprehend that abusive partner, now she's stuck in the home with that abusive partner who's even more angry. Um, so the fear of retaliation, it, that's a real one. And if he hasn't committed a crime, you know, there are still a lot of abusive behaviors that are legal. It is legal to verbally abuse a partner. It is still legal to financially abuse a partner. It's still legal to make threats. It's still legal to isolate your partner from her social network, her friends, her family. It's legal to harass a person over the, over the phone with the kids, you know, on custody exchanges. These are all behaviors that are abusive and they're legal. And so you can call the police, but it's not enough to, to put a person away. And unfortunately, the way that our justice system is set up currently is a person's life can be completely destroyed and it's, there's no legal repercussion. Not only does, is that person's life destroyed, but I mentioned the fact that very, very often there's children involved in this whole process. <laughs> And this can be a scar that is carried with them the rest of their life because 
I think it's fair to say that if there is an abusive family situation, it's not just the spouse that's being abused. The children are probably being abused also. And the longer they are abused, the, the, the more they are scarred and the more they have to carry with them the rest of their life. When they grow and they get into a, 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 a situation, it may be very difficult for them to get into a loving situation because they know the past that they've come from. 10 million children, 10 million children witness domestic abuse every year in the United States. 10 million children learn that if I want to get my way, I've got a hidden screen. 10 million children learn that it's okay, that it's acceptable to be hit when somebody is angry with you. 10 million children witness uh, abuse of varying degrees, and some of them become abusers themselves, and some of them accept abuse by others. And some of them just don't understand why their mother stayed or why their father did what he did. Um, and it, it, you're right, it can create a real psychological trauma. It can create emotional trauma. It may form um, a, a disability in being able to hold and retain friendships and relationships later on as adults. So your vision Going back, what is this, about six years ago, you started? Uh... Late. I was late in 2015. We we officially turned on the hotline September 28th, but I say it's October because what's a few days. And um, day one that we turned on our hotline in uh, late September of 2015, we got our first hotline phone call. I remember volunteers and I were in this small, tiny office putting away fundraiser stuff. Like I think we could put the fake flowers over there and we got to throw this stuff out. And the phone rang and all of us were like, what's that sound? (laughs) Somebody checking the line. (laughs) I guess I'll go answer that phone. And that was a person who says, I hear that you can help me leave and get to my family. I was like, yes, (laughs) let me, let me pull together my notes and we will figure this out together. And and ever since then, it's been like building an airplane while flying it at the same time, just go forward. (laughs) Well, I want to let everyone know that that, that, that's watching. You don't have to necessarily be in North, North Texas. Uh, I mean, obviously you, you are really working within North Texas, but you're about to expand to the Houston area also. But for those that are listening and watching this show from all over the country, please keep in mind that, that, that if you have the ability to take in someone who is trying to get away from an abusive relationship, your program is open nationwide. You will transport or send people wherever they need to go to be in a safe situation, correct? As long as the victim is in North Texas, East Texas, or in the Houston, around the Houston area, then we can help that person go. We cannot help people right now who are in another state or another part of the state get to somewhere else. For example, we do get calls from people out of, say, Florida who need to get to North Carolina. And unfortunately, we're, we're not national yet. We need the funding and we need the support to become a national agency. And I, it is my life's dream and vision to get there someday. Um, but right now we're 
we're in North Texas and we're in deep East Texas and we're opening up in the Houston area to help. You know what, Stuart, it's almost 50% of the state's population of Texas will have access to Families to Freedom Services. Victims from nearly half of the state's population will have the ability to get to a shelter nearby or get, um, uh, get to family far away. So let me ask you this. Let's let's go back to what you mentioned earlier. Somebody from Florida calls and right. and 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 needs your help. Do you have a network or something, a nationwide network or something, where you might be able to refer them to an agency oh, similar absolutely. to yours? Absolutely. So we don't we don't just leave a caller hanging and say, "Oh, we can't help you. Bye bye." Oh no 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 no. We will talk to that victim. We will look up uh, any agencies or resources in that person's area. Uh, we will help her find Catholic Charities or St. Vincent de Paul or uh, any domestic violence agency in her area. Uh, we, we will not just leave a victim hanging on a phone call without something. And if, if all that she needs is a pep talk and we say, you know what, we believe in you and I so wish that we could help you, please don't give up on you. Please don't give up on your children. Just keep moving forward. At least that maybe keeps that person from moving uh, from, from, from reconsidering or, you know, giving up. Well, that, that's why, and, and, and right at this, at this point, I want everyone to know right in the bottom corner of Sarah's screen, it says families to freedom. All you have to do is add .org to that. <laughs> that's Go right. online, families to freedom.org. You can learn everything you need to know. The hotline numbers are there. If you need to pass any of that information along to someone that you know that may be in an abusive situation, go to the website, use the numbers, hit the donate button, uh, you know, any, anything that you can do. That's why I was kind of saying if, uh, if someone that, that is watching or listening to this show is, is in uh, Colorado, say, and they know, hey, you know what? I've got a friend who mentioned that her daughter is in this abusive situation in North Texas or so. Maybe I can help. Maybe maybe you can, can transport that young lady and her kids from North Texas to my home in Colorado and I yes. will help shelter her. Absolutely. So nationwide, if you know a friend or uh, a family member in North Texas or East Texas area that is struggling with domestic violence, do call us and we can help facilitate um, a safety plan, an exit plan. We can help get your person to your home wherever you live in the United States. As long as you're in the lower 48, we don't yet go to Alaska and Hawaii because our, our vehicles aren't waterbound and we don't, we don't do well with <laughs> crossing into other countries. Um, but yes, if you are watching this from another state and you have a friend or a family member somewhere in the North or East Texas area that is struggling with domestic violence, domestic abuse, or you're just not sure, like, you know what, things are different and I'm just not sure, call us and we will be happy to talk with you about what does abuse look like? How could she leave safely? Um, what are her options in her area and how could we be of assistance in any way? And even if she doesn't want to leave the area, maybe it's crime victims compensation we can help her with. Maybe we can help her with address confidentiality so she can get an apartment, stay in the area, but still be hidden from her abusive partner. Yeah, and, and you mentioned North and East Texas, but pretty soon it's going to be in South Texas too, because yes. you'll be opening up your office in, in, in Houston. Uh, 
One thing that, that came to mind is I have often heard two, two phrases, domestic violence and domestic abuse. Yes. What are the differences and, 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 and are there differences? Um, it's nuanced. So think of like domestic violence is sort of like, um, it's like an umbrella phrase. It encapsulates family violence and nonviolent abusive behavior, right? So if for, for the folks who are watching who are very little literal with their words, um, violence means, you know, physical sexual assault. Um, abuse might take the form of something that's not physical, like verbal abuse, gaslighting a person, financially controlling a person, all those things that are, are abusive and, and can destroy a person's psyche and, and their abilities, um, but arguably is not violence. So we, I'm very careful in my wording in that we help victims of domestic abuse, whether they've been physically harmed or not. If she's got red flags of, you know what, something's not right, something's escalating, it's getting worse, and I'm worried that it's going to become an assault, let's get her out before she's punched, before she's choked, before she ends up in the hospital. Um, so domestic violence as an umbrella phrase, it kind of covers a lot of things. On, on our end, in our agency, we, we do classify it. Family violence means physically harmed by a family member. Yeah, let's say you're living with your brother or your sister and they're hitting you, or you've moved back home with your parents and now they are abusing you physically. To us, that's family violence and that qualifies. Domestic abuse, suppose that um, boyfriend and girlfriend are not getting along and he's you know, yelling at her all the time, he's threatening her, He's uh, throwing her phone around, breaking property, um, menacing, yeah, all those things, but not yet hitting her. And so she still qualifies because you know what? Those behaviors are definitely leading up to something worse. And we want to help a person get out of that situation. You know, let, let's, let's all be honest with ourselves. <clears throat> There are always times when you and, and, and a spouse or your significant other get into an argument and you yell at each other. Well, yelling at each other over, over you know, you burn the food or whatever, that's mm -hmm. not necessarily under the umbrella of abuse. But as it escalates and all and leads into something that becomes physical or constant, you know, in the case of something that's just constant verbal abuse, that's that's a you know a red flag for maybe it's time to to separate. Unfortunately, I think that the reason that a lot of people don't separate or you know either either partner doesn't separate is because they don't want to lose that security. They 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 just don't know what is out there that they may have to contend with. That's another reason why you call Sarah and you call families to freedom is because they have those answers. They're the ones that can make you realize that, yes, you may have to walk out of that house with just the clothes on your back, but we're going to get you to a place where you can regroup. Yeah. You can restart for yourself. And again, I keep thinking about the kids that are involved in this. When you said 10 million, 
10 million, that's the latest data that we have is that at least 10 million children witness domestic violence. I'm glad you brought up the uh, uh, arguments in a normal relationship. You're right. Uh, I've been married, what, 22 years? <laughs> oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, we've had our, our, our bickering about how to handle the house, how to handle, you know, what we want to do. But at the end of it all, we come together, we, we may have a compromise, we may have a deep discussion, a misunderstanding that gets reconciled. Um, we, we come to terms with how we, we are feeling, but it's all respectful. And at some point there's a resolution and we move on. In an abusive relationship where there's arguing, there's gonna be one person who's always got the power control over the other, one person who is not respectful, one person who is always domineering, that is the key difference. Although you may argue in a relationship, if you're not being respectful, if, if the one person is always domineering, that's not, that's not normal and that's not a healthy relationship. Well, you know, in a situation of, of, uh, with your, you and your husband, you probably both came from a fairly normal background. We're talking about people that have probably come from tough backgrounds. Yes. And for some reason, tough gets together with tough. And that's like, like you know, mixing matches with, with gunpowder. Uh, it's just yeah. a matter of time before something explodes. And, you know, we're, we're preaching to the choir here, Sarah. You, you could turn the TV on almost any day of the week and find out where there was another domestic violence shooting. And that's why I say the victim says, he's going to kill me. You got to do something. Please come arrest him. What? We, he hasn't done anything that we can arrest him for until the call is we have a fatality. Mm -hmm. And then, then it's, it's hindsight. That's, right. that's what I know you've been fighting for, for all of these years. And yes. it ain't nothing new. This has been no. going on for decades and decades and centuries. decades. Centuries. People have been abusing and harassing and treating others horribly for centuries. Domestic violence has been around since probably the start of mankind, if I had to guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about Gabby Petito? Is that, is it too soon? No, everything no. you're talking about is exactly what's on my mind. This this is your show. You you <laughs> go with it, girl. It, it's breaking my heart. So you you brought it up. Um, what, it breaks my heart for the family that uh, has lost their daughter. It just like you've said, you know, there's all these warning signs, and then it and then something horrible happens, a fatality, and then everything is in hindsight. And I think now, right this today, this week millions of people are, are on YouTube and on social media and on the news watching the footage of that couple back in August um, being interrogated and, and being um, interviewed by the local police. I think it was Utah police. And um, it, here in our office, we've, we've been discussing it almost every day as events and details are unfolding, we're analyzing it. What do we think happened? Um, and could the police have done better? And what could they have done, if anything? What could we have done, if anything? Um, what I see out of that video is that I don't believe that Gabby knew at that moment how, how serious her situation was. Maybe she didn't know that she was a victim of domestic violence. Maybe she didn't recognize that. I'm all speculating. 
Perhaps yeah. he was gaslighting her and making her believe that she was the problem because of some mental illness or some belief that she wasn't fully, you know, together or something. It, in the videos that I see, she is emotional and she is shaken up and she seems almost fearful. And he seems so casual, so nonchalant, like, oh yeah, we're just having an argument. And, you know, she, oh, crazy girl. The other red flag I see is that he has all these scratches on him. Girls don't fight like cats. We're not out scratching people. That tells me that she was being held down, maybe choked. I don't know. I don't know. But um, those scratches on the face and, and around his body, that to me is a, a big old red flag that perhaps the police missed. Had they had a family violence uh, uh, and detective on site, perhaps if they'd had a little training that was more fresh on their minds, maybe the police would have said, you know what, we need to ask a few extra questions and see if there's something more going on. Even if she doesn't identify herself as a victim, because maybe she doesn't see all these red flags for what, what the rest of us are. She's in the woods. She doesn't see the forest. Right. Well, it's she, our job to see the forest. She's willing to give him one more chance sometimes sometimes that that's a bad a bad thing too I'll, I'll, okay right. he he apologized uh he took me out for a nice dinner and said i'm really sorry it'll never happen again and you think yeah. it's smoothed over but it, yeah. it's it's a temporary fix and like you said okay look i'm sorry we've had our problems why don't we go camping for the weekend you know, that that sometimes can lead to 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 a tragic end, as it was in this case. And every night, you know, there's there's a, an alert that somebody is missing. Some young person is missing. Yeah. They don't know where they are. And then we we hear the same scenario after they find the body. Then they go back and they determine, yeah, well, they, they didn't always get along. Well, it goes back to that old phrase, see something, say something. If you have a friend right. and, and you notice that she's got scratches on her face, she's got bruises on her arms or her legs, you know, if she's your friend, do something, say something, try and get involved. And a lot of times people don't want to because, hey, listen, I, I don't, I don't want to get into the mix because it could come back to haunt me too. But that doesn't solve the situation. I would rather be overly cautious and get up in somebody's business and advise her to take action than be wrong and somebody ends up dead. That's or right. Or be wrong and somebody ends up homeless and in a worse shape than they would have been. I would, I would always err on the side of worst case scenario. This is what's going on. Let's let's take action. And oh well, I'm wrong. I wasn't that bad. Well, you know what? You're still alive. Yeah. So. Or or you know well he he only slapped me. You know, it was just a slap. Okay. You know, you've been doing this for five years. Where did this idea come from that, that you wanted to, to help Sarah? What, I mean, have, is this what you studied back in no, college? It, it's not in college. I, I, I got an, an MBA thinking that if I had a business degree, that that would help me climb the ladder in the corporate world and make lots of money and doing who knows what. Um, no, it, it all came to me when I learned about domestic violence on social media. I, I was uh, in a, a dead end job and scrolling on social media and it happened to be October and there was a lot of statistics about domestic violence. 
and I clicked on an article, read a link, it cited some sort of statistic, and I clicked on the source for that, read another article, went on a rabbit trail, and then I landed on a report from the National Network to End Domestic Violence, NNEDV, um, where they cited how many thousands of victims have unmet needs every single day. On any given random day, hundreds of victims across the United States are being told, sorry, we can't help you. And that it, it, it breaks my heart that here in our great state of Texas, every single day, hundreds of victims have unmet needs. So in that moment, I just, I just kind of, with a, a bit of empathy, I thought, what would I do? What would I do if I were in this situation? What, where would I go? He knows where my mom lives. My husband knows where my mom lives, so I can't go to my mom. Maybe I could go to my aunt. She moves around from time to time. He doesn't know where she lives. Maybe I could be safe there. How would I get to my aunt's house? My aunt lives two states away. I could take the car, but then I would run out of gas because he'd turn off the gas card or he'd turn, I'm sorry, he would turn off the credit card or the debit card. Well, okay, so if I can't drive, how would I get there? I could buy a Greyhound ticket, but you know what? As soon as I leave, that credit card debit card's turned off and now I have no money. And in a cashless society, that's, that's, a, that's a deal breaker. That's, that's, that's huge. Right. Um, so just the thought process that I went through of how would I do this? It just kind of created the idea that, you know what? Maybe a ride. Maybe if somebody could give me a ride. Maybe I could drive a person to get to their family. So that way, that's a barrier that she can ride under the radar undetected all the way to her family's home. Maybe there are domestic violence shelters available that are just out of reach. They're in another county, they're on the other side of a region and they have an empty bed and they have a counselor that's ready and able to receive, but the victim thinks it's too far away. There's no way I can get there. There's, it's too expensive for a taxi ride or an Uber or Lyft or what have you. There's no buses that go to that small town. Um, how would I even get there? We can solve that problem. So having that, that spark, that moment, that's when I realized my time on this earth is limited. And now that I have seen the data, now that I know that there's a problem and I know in my heart that there's a solution, I really, and I recognize that we have been taking domestic violence seriously in this country since what, the 1980s. If I didn't start this, if I didn't start Families to Freedom, nobody else would. And then hundreds and hundreds of victims would continue to be without safety. And it, it was it was like, boop, I have to do this. This is what I gotta do. I don't know if it was a God saying, if it was just serendipitous, if it was just um, just a spur of the moment. I don't know what it was, but some spark lit up in me. And I was like, this, this is important. This is what I need to be doing. Instead of trying to climb a corporate ladder, I need to be helping women and children get to a better place so that the, our society can be better when women and children are taken care of. And that, that I haven't looked back since then. And so in that five to six years, rough numbers, how many people have you been able to, to help? Rough numbers? I have a very precise number. Since we started services, we've now helped more than 2,465 people disappear. And that's women and children and a handful, a lot of handfuls of men disappear. This year alone, Already, we've helped 250 adults get to a new, same, a new safe place. 
250 different adults. And that's only this year. We're only in, what is it, late September right now. So we still have yeah. three more still have months. another quarter left. to go in the year. Well, you also had another little aspect, and that was that you you got a uh, 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 a uh, what, what am I trying to say? You 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 fly an airplane. <laughs> I'm a I am a you, private you're, pilot. You're a pilot. You you did uh-huh. is that something you just wanted to do as as a hobby? Uh, yeah, um, back in what was it 20, 2009, 2010, my husband decided that he wanted to go uh, take flying lessons. And I glommed on that. I was like, oh, you're going to need a co-pilot. Let's go. And um, that was sort of a symptom of being in a dead-end job and not having my life fulfilled. It, 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 now that I look back on it, everything's in retrospect, I, I realized that that was me saying, I need to do more in my life. And so having a hobby was sort of like a, a little patch of, okay, I'm doing more. I'm flying and this is fun. And this is engaging me and, and making my brain work hard on how to, you know, be a good pilot and, and you know, fly in the skies and, and fly through clouds and, and all of that. Um, once I got that, I realized, okay, now I can, I can go even farther. I can help, I could fly victims if I wanted to. And I did do that a few times. Um, since then, since then, Stuart, I have sold the airplane, my beloved um, diamond. <laughs> I sold it to a Fox News journalist. I'm sure she's having a great time out on the East Coast with it. <laughs> um, it was it was a beautiful day selling. The, you know, it's just like what they say with boats. You know, the best day of your life is when you buy a boat. The best day of your life is when you sell the boat. It's the same thing right. with airplane. I was kind of glad to be. Well, I, I know I know that that uh, uh, you just froze up there for a second so I'll just I'll I'll take it from here I know that you were flying victims out of North Texas and all to help relocate them but let's face it folks that that's not an inexpensive uh, uh, proposition uh, it's very very expensive and the the vast majority of what families to freedom does, is uh, uh, from donations, uh, from just people like you and me, from people that donate to Families to Freedom on North Texas Giving Day, which which is is tomorrow. But uh, <clears throat> Sarah, if you could, okay, uh, uh, Sarah had to drop out apparently, and I think she's going to probably rejoin here. I'll watch for her uh, to come back on. Uh, there you are. And I, I, I knew I'd, I knew I'd get you back. Uh, I, w- I was just tell- telling people about the fact that that in the beginning you were using your flight skills and all to help relocate people too, but but it's costly, very costly, uh, yeah. and and you're operating really on donations, uh, co- you know, individual and corporate donations and all, and so. Uh, you've, you realize that you could probably put three times as many people on buses as you could trying to get them up in an airplane and fly them someplace else. But I, I just happened to see from your website just from last month mm-hmm. uh, and all you, you 12, over 12,000 miles traveled yeah. relocating people. This is, this is by, by bus tickets, by, by uh, gas cards, uh, to, to help them, you know, use their own vehicles 
to relocate. And I want to also, while it's fresh in my head, when you go to Families to Freedom, uh, especially for those that are in the DFW area, you know, uh, those of you outside the area, if you can, can help, probably donations are the best way to help. But locally, folks, there is a list on Families to Freedom of things that they can use. Keep in yes. mind, when, when this abused person walks into a, a shelter, what they have nothing. Maybe it's a, it's a young woman with two small children. They don't have diapers. They don't have toiletries. They don't have anything maybe other than a plastic bag from the grocery store that they threw a few things into. And there's always a need for things like backpacks, gently uh, uh, used uh, uh, suitcases and, and carryalls, totes, things like that. There's a list there. If you can help in that regard, call Sarah and tell her, listen, I've got it. Or here's a hundred bucks, go out and buy some backpacks for those kids that need them. I'm, you know, I'm a proponent. You know, I, I believe... I believe in this. It's something we've got to do. We've become too complacent in our society that what you said was abuse goes back, you know, centuries and centuries, but each generation seems to accept it a little bit more as the norm. We can't do that. Nope. You know, abuse is abuse and it can't be tolerated. And frankly, people would be better off being apart, not getting married, not living together, and just carrying on a relationship that way instead of being in an abusive situation. I wish we were a nation where we had people who are upset that they keep getting broken up on, that he dumped me, he left me. Well, you know what? I would rather that scenario than where we're at now, which is where people stay together with somebody that they, that they just, that they're not getting along, or if she's not just right for you, if she's not folding your laundry, if she's not making you happy and giving you joy, call it off, break up. Don't force her to become somebody that she's not. Don't hold her back and punish her in some way. You're not going to change who she is. She can't change who you are. If it's not working out, break up and move on. And um, I would much rather have a nation of brokenhearted people than the domestic violence that we have now. And let's carry that thought just a, a step further. How many times, and we have all been there, we have a friend that's divorced. She's devastated. It's the end of her life. She goes into depression. What am I going to do now? You know, then fast forward about two years, she meets another great guy, they get married and everything. And she looks back and she says to that first relationship, I don't know why I stayed so long that I, you know, I, I, I found that light at the end of that dark tunnel. It's there, you know, that if you are in a bad situation, there is always a better situation. You know, and it's hard to see that. You're right, Stuart. It is hard to see that there are future people that you haven't met yet that will love you, that will need you, that will depend on you, that will give you life and purpose. But if you haven't met them yet, you don't know what's out there. And I think that fear of the unknown is it's a very powerful thing that could keep a victim uh, from taking that step out of that relationship. 
Um, she may have been told by her abusive partner, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, I'm the only one who knows how you are, I'm the only one who will put up with you on this, that, and the other. You're, if you're told that every day, you might start to believe that. And when you start to believe that, that's, that, that's very powerful at keeping a person in place. So as an advocate, what we have to do is we have to inject some ideas of, you know what, you do have worth and you don't know what your future looks like, but there are people in your future that you're going to meet. You don't know who they are yet, but you're going to meet people and they are going to be your friend. They're going to need you. You're going to need them and you have to keep moving forward. And you just, you got to trust and believe that your life is not doomed, that there is, there is greatness ahead of you. You just have to keep it going one more day, one more week, one more month. Just keep moving forward. For those that are listening and watching, what Sarah just said is so important. You don't have to wallow in a bad life situation and all. Talk to somebody. Yes. Maybe your best friend is not the right person to talk to. You need to talk to somebody that's neutral, that can can listen to what your problem is and then help you find the solution, uh, the right solution. The fact that people like Sarah are connected to so many other avenues for you, whether it is get you to the other side of town or get you to the other side of the country is, yes. is something that can can save your life. And the, and the life of your family, uh, it, it can happen. And when that happens, and I know because I've seen, I've seen the, the, uh, the responses even on your, your website, and there's probably hundreds and hundreds of them, yeah. somebody is, life is saved. They come back to you and they say, thank you from the bottom of my heart because I was in a very, very dark hole and you helped pull me out and get me to a better place. And that person who is, is helped and saved pays it forward. Absolutely. They, it does happen. Yeah. they try to pay that, that forward. And that's how we can defeat this, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, domestic abuse and, and, and violence. You're right. And uh, we, what we do on our end is we are not just a pickup and a drop-off agency. We are so much more than a taxi service. I think some people who hear that we do transportation are thinking, oh, well, we just, you know, we're just like a, a free Uber. No, <laughs> we are so much more than just a free ride. Um, we bring a bit of dignity through our gift bags. She may be leaving with nothing. We have helped. We, we had a lady yesterday she had literally nothing. Whatever she had in her pockets, that was all that she had. No purse, no backpack, no change of clothes, no change of underwear, no deodorant, none of that. Our volunteer driver showed up with a gift bag that had her basic essentials that she needed. It had a toothbrush, it had a little deodorant, had a little bit of lotion. Um, it probably had a little trinket to make her feel like she's got a bit of, uh, that she could reclaim her dignity. Um, for the longer road trips across the United States, taking a mom and kids to uh, California, upstate California, not upstate California, uh, but yeah, up, uh, up in the Redwood area. Um, we're going to give the kids some toys. We're going to give them some juices and some snacks on the way. They're going to watch movies in the back of our van uh, and be preoccupied. We're going to listen to uplifting music for mom so that she can, she can be focused on positive energy and positive vibes all the way. And we're going to take care of their needs the entire trip. 
so that she doesn't have to worry about sleeping on a, a bus station floor or how much stuff can she take with her. If we can put it in the van, we're going to take it with us. We are more than just a pickup and a drop off. We also follow up with our victims. Um, after they've arrived, we want to, we're going to call the next day. Hey, how are you doing? How, how are things? Are, do you feel okay? Are you safe? Are you getting taken care of? Uh, how are the counselors at that shelter? Are they, are they uh, taking care of you today? What do you want to do next? How can we help you next um, over the phone? Uh, and then we'll follow up a month later. We'll follow up six months later. How are you doing now? And what we want to do is we want to, we want to hear the good news. And if somebody has relapsed back, it's good for information for us to know. And then we can kind of sit back and say, okay, we've had X number of people that have relapsed. Is there anything that we could have done differently? Is, is there anything that we could have done better? Um, so those are conversations that we constantly have as we try to tweak our formula to get better and better so that maybe we can have fewer people that are slipping back into those relationships. I will say distance does good. The farther away that a victim gets away from her abuser, the far less likely she is to relapse back to that abusive relationship, far less likely she is to be manipulated back into that relationship. On our end, all we can do is set her up for success. Here are the uh, affordable housing options. Here are the shelters, the food banks. Here are the job placements in her new area. So that way she has a roadmap for what to do now that you're in a safe place. And then follow up and we have conversations. How's it going? How's that job search? And we'll celebrate all of those uh, good news moments that she has. Yeah, it, and that's all part of getting them their dignity back and 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 getting their their respect back. Again, I want to mention familiestofreedom.org because in addition to monetary donations, there are a lot of opportunities if you've got some time. Sarah mentioned uh, uh, transporting people to to other other states. She started by doing it all by herself. But yeah. now, if you have the ability to get in a van and drive somebody from here we to another volunteers. state, absolutely, need volunteers, need volunteers, and there's lots of volunteer opportunities for you, Sarah, my dear friend. I, I, I am, I am so in awe of you and what you have done and all to help victims of domestic abuse and domestic violence. And I wish you the very, very best in the future. And with the new office in Houston. Uh, and all, um, I will continue to support you in any way that I possibly can. All you got to do is reach out. You're a dear friend and I, and I love you for what you're doing for, to, to help the dignity of people. Hey, can we check in in about, I don't know, three or five years from now? I want to, I want to talk about what we've done in Houston, because right now I'm, I'm right on the edge. Haven't, I'm not there yet. I'm working as fast as I can to get there, but I would love to be able to report back what we're doing and how that whole absolutely on. I would love that. We will do it. And when you go nationwide, I want to, <laughs> I want to be there when they present you with that award. <laughs> Thank you. And so for people, you know what, more than backpacks, we need a van. We need a family van. We've got a 2005 Honda Odyssey um, in our parking lot that is on its deathbed. It's so close to dying. The engine light is going to be on forever. Um, our mechanics said, don't put any more money into it. Just drive it until it dies. So we are waiting for the inevitable day that our family van drives its last mile. If anybody watching this has a vehicle, 
that they are thinking about trading in or getting rid of, please consider donating it. If we can drive it off, uh, off of your parking lot or, or off of your driveway, we will make intervening use of it. And we need, um, we need a new family van. So maybe, maybe somebody will see this and, <laughs> and help us I'll, out. I'll reach out to some people that I know and, and, and all, and keep, keep it, keep it in mind because let's face it, folks, if, if you've got that, that, that van and it's operable and it can, it can, you know, be donated to an organization like this, it's a tax write-off for you. Absolutely. And you can sure probably write off more on the, on your taxes than you would if you, if you traded right. it in. <laughs> That's true. Sarah, thank you very, very much for taking the time to be with me here on someone you should know uh, the very, very best to you as we go forward. I also want to give a little bit of a shout out to a, a very dear friend uh, and all in that is to uh, Christine Dean, who is the DFW Networking Diva. Uh, she is uh, helping helping us to uh, promote this show, to market the show. If you need any help with marketing your website, uh, and I'll reach out to Christine. She's available for consultations, and she has been a very, very big, big supporter of someone you should know. And I thank you very, very much, Christine. And that will do it for another edition of Someone You Should Know. Again, Sarah, thank you very, very much for taking the time and the very best to, to, to everybody. Go out, make it a good day. And as I say, be yourself because everyone else is taken. Bye. <laughs>